Hey, when does the show start? Hey, wait a minute. <gasps> First, let's hear from our sponsors. Oh, okay. In just a minute. Look, do you need a defense attorney? Go with the best in the business. That is Aurora Law Firm. You hear Manny Aurora on the show a couple times a month, currently representing Anna Delvey, the real one from the Inventing Anna Netflix documentary. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, but practices nationwide, has handled litigation in over 19 different states and has represented many clients uh, in the celebrity field, you know, as well as professional athletes, law enforcement agents, lawyers, uh, politicians, you name it. Manny and his crew have been there and done that. And they can help you as well if you're in need of a defense attorney. As a former prosecutor, Manny Aurora understands the other side of the case. TheAuroraLawFirm.com. That's the website. TheAuroraLawFirm.com. If you have a question for Manny when he makes a stop with the BS, you can leave a message on our hotline, 404 404- 369-3825 or the show's social media and get all that information off podcastthebs.com. How about a win-win situation for you? You're about to purchase a house. You need a mortgage. Go to the best in the business. That's Dave Flashner with Stockton Mortgage. 561-951-0984. He's a no-nonsense guy. He'll tell it to you how it is. He'll give you the numbers and it'll make it happen. Plus, he picks up the phone when it rings. But on top of that, when you close your home loan purchase or refinance with Stockton Mortgage, you'll be automatically entered into a mortgage-free sweepstakes. One prize winner will be chosen to have Stockton Mortgage cover their monthly mortgage payment up to $2,500 per month in 2023. 561-951-0984 or Stockton.com slash Dave-Flashner. Look, my wife sells houses for a living, and she always tells her clients that are selling their house, if you want to upgrade your property value, you got to do something with the kitchen and or the bath. And you don't have to be selling your house to upgrade the kitchen and bath. It's just something nice to do, and it upgrades the property value tremendously. That's why I'm telling you about UCI Kitchen and Bath, which has been Atlanta's number one cabinet, granite, and quartz fabricator, plus installer for the past 20 years, servicing all of Georgia, parts of Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida. It is a one-stop shop for you. You can pop into their showroom in Norcross, Georgia, and you can see their design team, meet their design team, and watch how they'll transform your kitchen and bathroom into this beautiful and functional environment to fit your personality, right? Uh, Plus all the latest trends. They've got displays there. So it might give you some good ideas. It's a one-stop shop. As I said, UCI Kitchen and Bath also provides installation, whatever you buy. Let's save you some cash. Mention the BS. You get 10% off regular-priced countertops. So save some money. Mention the Bailey Show podcast, 10% off Regular price countertops. UCIGranite.com. I love people. All right, all right, all right. The BS presents Let's Talk To. People are strange when you're a stranger. I cannot wait to see who it is. Oh, I hope it's Frank Sinatra's ghost. Oh, PodcastTheBS.com. It's better than radio. The biggest movie in the world right now is Top Gun Maverick. And uh, they were brilliant making this movie. There are so many brilliant things they did that I don't think people realize how brilliant they were. And the older characters, reviving older characters just by their name mentioned in the original top gun and then bring it in yeah and bring it in new characters like our guests emmy nominated actor director writer producer you might know him from superstore snatched arrested development single parents uh the mini project glow on netflix uh south side with his partner um uh, diallo riddle who's an atlanta guy by the way uh, but uh, oh, yeah. Bashir Saladin, dude, Hondo, what a great character. Absolutely phenomenal character, Bashir. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. It's really nice to talk with you guys. Yeah, so this is, uh, I mean, it's not like you're a neophyte to the entertainment industry. You've been clawing your way to the top for a while, including writing for, <laughs> for, for, for Fallon uh, for a minute, which is awesome because I love Jimmy Fallon. But uh, this, yeah, yeah. This, this this is this is the brass ring, correct? You know, it's, it's you hear Tom Cruise and you think one thing, you think summer blockbuster. So I knew, I knew at the very least that uh, you know this movie was going to be 
loud and big and exciting and have you on the edge of your seat um, and all those things and more. It's all those things and more. Yeah. You know, here it's it's funny when when I first saw your character, because I knew we were going to uh, have you on the show before I saw the movie, I think. So anyway, mm -hmm. when I first saw your character, I didn't know what character Hondo was. You know, I'm doing research and seeing Hondo. I, my initial thought, I don't know if you've heard this yet, but from first glance, your character, you remind me of the big black guy in Independence Day that tries to stop Will Smith from taking the helicopter. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> have you have you ever heard have you heard that yet before? I heard it just for the first time just now, right now with you. And uh, I've heard some other ones too. That's definitely going in my uh, prize possession things I've heard box. <laughs> because I think if memory serves, that character is actually Will Smith's brother-in-law or something like that, and he threw him into the movie. Mm -hmm. But, he, you know, there's some guys that steal the scene or steal the show, as they say. And, mm -hmm. and in Independence Day, he steals the show just by his facial expression. And I got to tell you, Bashir... Yeah. You know, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. Jennifer Connelly is Jennifer Connelly. Um, Miles Teller is Miles Teller. But, dude, you you really steal scenes in this movie from those that are built on top of you. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing to hear. That's why apparently everybody's clamoring for the Hondo spinoff. And by everybody, I mean my mother. <laughs> uh, but, you know... <laughs> You know, look, I, I'm lucky to be a part of it. It's What's cool is that, like, the same sort of acting preparation that you do to do a very small black box theater production that six people are in the audience for and nobody cares about is the same preparation that you do when you're going to be on an aircraft carrier acting with Tom Cruise. And so as an actor, it's kind of like the same homework. The difference with this movie, and as you can tell, you know, our my, my castmates, they had to go do – jet training. They had to go up in airplanes. They had to learn how to escape upside down underwater from, uh, you know, overturned uh, uh, cargo. You know, they had to learn how to take those G's. So when people are watching the movie and they see people really being pressed into their seat, they're really being pressed into their seat. And the audience feels it. It's so visceral. My character, like with me, I do test flight operations and I had to learn how to be a warrant officer. So I spent a lot of time with office with warrant officers. Also spent a lot of time going to places like Lockheed Martin and learning about test aircraft that aren't even out yet that I got to see. Nya, 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 nya. They're amazing. And I got to say, America, you got some real cool stuff coming down the pipe. And, I mean, there's just so much going on that was part of our education because Tom wanted to make sure, you know, that everybody in this movie knew their stuff and, and, and had, had some experience with this role they were inhabiting. You know, every single body up there had to do their homework. Uh, but what a great movie to be a part of. I really yeah. feel like it's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, is Tom Cruise as anti-CGI as some of the news stories that I read, which means that he wants it as real as possible, where you, uh, the movie, the production team, flew a private jet uh, 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 beside the aircraft carrier to get live audio and, and, the, and the pictures, the actual jets um, landing and taking off? I mean, that, that, I don't. You, you would know more than I would. That sounds awesome and exciting. And if it's awesome and he does it, I think to me the guy's a throwback. He's like you know Buster. For those of you who are film buffs, like Buster Keaton, um, early early filmmaker. But he would do incredible stunts. Where there's one online there by Love, where he's standing next to a house and the whole side of the house falls. And the only way he's missed is because he falls through the window falls on top of him. But if he is one inch to the left or right, then that's the last Buster Keaton movie we're ever going to see. And I think that that's something that audiences feel. I think Tom is the same, and he wants audiences to feel it, whether it's Mission Impossible, him really hanging on the side of a plane, or with this movie where you have actors actually experiencing G-forces. Tom himself is probably the only actor in American history who got actually catapulted off of an aircraft carrier in an F-18. That hasn't happened. All these, but he's, why is he doing all this stuff, right? He's doing it for the audience. You know, one thing that we've talked about on set is that he doesn't take it for granted. He's like, look, I'm lucky. I get to do the thing I love for a living, and I've been doing it for, you know, however many years. And so the only way that that is, is, is relevant is that 
he takes it very seriously. He takes the fact that people work hard for their money and they're spending some of it on a product that we've all made. He takes that very seriously. You know, I feel like I learned so much just watching his dedication. You know, I like learned what it means to have that level of longevity. I mean, cause to be a movie star, as long as he's done it, I don't think anybody's done that. No. It, it, was there any ad lib in this movie? Because, you know, the, one of the lines that stands there out. There is some, yes. There, okay, so yes. But before, but before you tell us what it is, let me just let me just point this out um, to the audience, is that it, it's just brilliant writing because you, from the beginning of Top Gun Maverick, you're able to establish the relationship between your character Hondo and Maverick based off of the... I hate that look on your face, Mav. Well, that's the only look yeah. I, you know. So that line, and it's used again at the end when he when he's taking off from the aircraft carrier to to do the mission. I want to mm-hmm. think some of that was improv or came up between you guys, just you know, bonding. But I could be wrong. You know that actually was written, and I'm so grateful that you know Christopher McCory and the other writers really. How do I say this? There's a, there's a, the movie is written before you get there, right? Like with every movie. But then once, you, but movies are not they're not static. They're sort of living things. And once you your instinct is correct, and then once you start making the movie, you do have new writing that comes in, new scenes show up, new uh, revisions show. Up. So that line that you noticed, I think that was actually created after the writer saw me and Tom actually hanging out and was on set with us. And we were all kind of just having camaraderie. And I think the writer had been looking for just a very simple way to encapsulate that friendship because we shot the scene in the hallway, uh, deeper into production. And even though it's the earliest part of the movie, we shot that deep in production. We had already been doing lots of stuff before that. And so I bring all that up to say that your instinct is absolutely correct. And that so much of what, what you see on screen is from people watching what's happening and thinking of new things, but there is a little bit of improv, especially when I'm making them do some uh, push-ups. Some of that stuff is really stuff that I was like very happy stayed in the film because it made me laugh at the time. And, and I was so nice to see audiences laugh at that stuff. Did you walking away? Was that improv? Like, ah, screw it. You just keep on going. Then that rooster just keep going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is like, we, it, it's so crazy. You, you think like, okay, like most movie stars or most movie people, in my experience, they're not there for everything, right? They're there for their stuff. Even when the camera is turned on, like, if this happens all the time in television, especially when somebody's done like 100 episodes. Like, when the camera's not on them, they're not on set. So you'll see somebody sometimes acting with a big star in a TV show, but the star, I trust me, is nowhere near. You're just watching the reverse. And here you have the biggest movie ever, and it's not like that at all. Tom is there for all the reverse coverage. Anytime I'm acting with him, the person off camera is Tom Cruise. There are even scenes that he's not even really in that he showed up for. There were scenes when I was doing the push-ups where he would come outside, just hang out and make jokes and and be a part of it. I I got a sense that he was giddy to finally make this movie, too. He gets kind of a bad rap, right? You hear stories of being a perfectionist. And and I always tend to stick Mm -hmm. up for him because... You know, I have a little bit of that in me too. You know, it just you, you, when there's in, when when you when you uh, not indirectly surround yourself with incompetent, weak-minded, lazy individuals, and you're trying to accomplish something, you get a little pissed off. That's how he strikes me as a guy. It's like I got a vision. This is my project. I want you to be a part of it. We'll be the bestest of friends mm-hmm. or the worst of enemies. But dude, you slack off, and that's your ass. You, know, you kind of nailed it. I mean, there was this audio that came out during the pandemic um, from yeah. him on Mission Impossible where he's giving them the business. And I was really heartened to see that the comments were pretty much all like, yeah, you know, we get it. Like this is most of us can't even leave the house right now. And you have people who going through at great cost the ability to be in a bubble so they can make a movie and make some money. Right. And not, you know, necessarily sit around wondering how the hell they're going to get through this thing and, and, and also make something that could be timeless. And so that passion was celebrated. You know, interestingly, I have the good fortune of having worked in, in this business for long enough to tell you that it's so crazy how many people are the opposite, right? There's so many people who have bad reps and then you meet them and you go like, oh man, you're great. And here's the other thing. And I learned this a lot, especially when I worked at Jimmy Fallon, because you know, we had new celebrities on every night. So I've met a lot of folks. There's a lot of people who are really wonderful human beings in front of the camera. And then when the camera's off, total jerk. So it's like, it's, it's, there's really, I would say to folks, there's no way to know how somebody is in person until you hang out with them. Because what you see 
in the camera or in interviews, that's all very carefully thought about. It's all scripted. Sometimes with interviews, like they get the questions in advance and they already know the answers, right? Like that's where we are with entertainment because it's all entertainment. And I was really happy that when I met Tom, he was personable. He was excited. He was like, a, he just loves making movies. It's like what gets him out of bed in the morning. Uh, you know, he loves his toys. He loves his cars and his planes. He was telling me that when he was growing up, he was definitely that kid who was like on top of the garage, you know, with the bed sheet <laughs> jumping off, trying to see if the parachute worked, right. you know, and like, <laughs> that's insane. Uh, you know, but he's always kind of been that way. And now he does that for a living. And so, you know, the more I live my life, the more I'm just amazed at how, you know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Are you able to watch the movie? Well, for, how many times have you seen it? I've seen it three times. Okay. Are you able to watch the movie and differentiate between being an actor in the movie and being a fan of the franchise? Yeah, I am. You know, I think the, the thing about the filmmakers and also the people Tom picked, we're all movie fans. Like, we love movies. And I... <laughs> There's a moment in the movie where my character has an emotional moment, and I found myself watching it and feeling emotional. And I was like, I can't sit up here and like have me make me cry. Like that don't make no sense. Come on, man. And yet, that's kind of what was happening. Is is I was having like an emotional connection. And so, we're all fans. Everybody in that cast loves movies. We talk about movies. We talk about movie scores. We're, we have our downtime. It's almost like you're an inside the actor studio. I mean. We're all movie nerds. We're all acting nerds. We're all people who love Shakespeare and we love, you know, the arts and this and that because this is what our vocation has been and it's what our passion has been since we were very young. Uh, and then you have somebody like Tom who's able to take all that and, and put it in a bottle, <laughs> you know, and kind of sell it and have everybody want a piece of it. And so I, I think this is like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I certainly don't think this is like, you know, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a very big fan of myself, but I also recognize that doing a movie that's a sequel to one of the biggest movies of all times, it took 30 years to come out. It's with a movie star, you know, who has proven to have better longevity than all of his peers. You know, that's not something that's going to happen every day. And I even knew from the very first day on set that I should cherish this because, you know, this is once in a lifetime. Yeah, but when I say differentiate between an actor and a fan, uh, Bashir, I'm saying when you're watching the movie and you go, like, because, you, you know, the, maybe the first time the finished product when everything w was done, and you're going, oh, my God, that's such a great throwback to the original Top Gun because there's so many throwbacks yeah, in the movie. Absolutely. There's, like, yeah. we call them Easter eggs or whatever, you know, saying. The flashbacks were brilliantly placed, but they yeah, still I, left. I, I didn't know that was going to happen. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that, the, all that stuff, I definitely, when, once the credits started, I was a fan again. I was a total fan. I was not a filmmaker, you know, critically looking at the work saying, oh, I didn't like what I did in this scene. Oh, this thing could have been, no. And I do that with everything I make. I'm always like, eh, I don't want to watch it. I'm going I'm to sit there and pick it apart. Uh, but this one, I was a fan, you know, from the beginning. That, from that very first opening thing when they're on the aircraft carrier, yeah. I was like, oh, here we go. So, oh. yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I totally stand out on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, th this is, I mean, this is how you do it. You know, when you see... You know, p people take uh, years later uh, and try to make a sequel or try to make a reboot. You know, this is my biggest problem with uh, superhero movies. I say this all the time. You can't, you know, mm -hmm. like Man of Steel is one of the worst Superman, worst movies ever. Superman doesn't snap necks, you know, and if you're going to have Superman, you're going to have the theme song. That's why you go for the theme song. Same with Batman, I, mm -hmm. I think. Um, mm. you, you can't, you can't be that dark and everything, but as soon as Top Gun Maverick starts, you hear the boom, boom, you know, the, the score is there. It's like, you can't have star Wars without a John Williams vibe. It just can't be That's done. True. You That's just, true. It's all part of the experience. Right. Yeah. And, right. And even if you watch Obi-Wan right now with star Wars, it's still got the same score vibe because I think John Williams kid actually yeah. does uh, some of this stuff for anyway. Um, who else was yeah. up for your I part? I can't do that one. Who did you beat out? Who else was up for the Hondo part? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> no, I really don't know. I don't. I have no idea. I will say, though, you know, typically, if you want to figure that out, though, for Hollywood, uh, and this is for every single actor, every time you go to an audition, you always, it's it's sort of like, uh, uh, what's that movie? Multiplicity. Yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton. Kind of like that, uh, what's his name? And he saw himself. Michael Keaton. It's like that. You. you Michael Keaton, yeah, it's like every audition for every actor in Hollywood is like multiplicity with Michael Keaton. You go into a room and you see yourself. You see five of you. 
sitting in that room. Everybody's a little bit different, but they're all kind of generally you. And you kind of go like, okay, so that, I know what kind of they're going for, what they're kind of looking for in this part. You kind of have to get through that, though, because that's actually very intimidating when you first get to Hollywood. You know, it's very, like, nerve-wracking because you go like, well, what shit, man? We all look alike. Well, what's going to separate us? Uh, and so you do have to really dig in and focus on your work and what makes you special. I'm lucky, dude. I'm lucky that when they saw my tape, that they saw that, that Tom felt like there was something special there. Um, and he gave me a compliment on set that I will never, ever, ever forget. You know, and it was right when we're working. I mean, I'm, we're doing this really intense scene that he just, at some point he just said, I want you to know just how great you are in this movie. You know, you are passionate, you are compassionate. And he just broke down all this stuff about me and all the reasons why he was a fan of the work I was doing. I mean, what a boost of confidence to get, not after the movie comes out and is successful, but while you're shooting it, when you don't know what's going to happen and, and him acknowledging that for me, uh, I've never had that happen before. Yeah. And also didn't he, you thought he was joking, but he was serious. He wanted to, he wanted you to give him information on Southside, which is on comedy central. Yeah. I thought it was, I mean, I, you know, I, I told that story, but it's true. Cause you know, I've been to Hollywood long enough. You hear shit all the time. You hear like, Oh, I love you. And it doesn't mean anything. It yeah. means nothing. Yeah. You know, but then in that instance, he was like, no, I really, want, he's like, I really want to see it. And I was like, all right, bro. And I showed it to him and we, we actually watched part of it on set because I had made the sizzle reel and Tom was on set with his family. He's a huge family. People don't know that he's a big family. Uh, he was on set with his family and we all watched it. And I'm literally watching Tom and his family laugh at like jokes that I wrote for a comedy show. And then later on, he's like, well, I want to see the whole thing. And then we showed him the whole thing. I sent it to him and he called me, talked about it. Uh, you know, I, I really, my wife and I do the show together. He met her at the premiere and he talked to her about what he loved about the show. And that was just so special for me to see, you know, my wife and, you know, Tom Cruise and then me, and we're sitting around talking about the South side of Chicago. Like that, when does that happen? Yeah. Um, and yet again, I would say it's like, it's because you have to live this life. You got to live it to know what's going to happen in it. Right. You can't live it. You got to go out your door and go experience things and go pursue your passions because you have no idea where they're going to take you. I, there's no way in the, in the world I would have thought doing, you know, uh, playing a very small part in Hamlet at the Whitney Young High School Theater, you know, in 1990, uh, what was that? That's probably 1995, you know, that I would somehow connect the dots between that and shooting with Tom Cruise in an aircraft carrier. Like that, that, you don't game plan that, but when it happens, you just kind of go, man, I need to humble myself and be grateful. What, yeah. what, what, what is he in your phone? Is he Tom Cruise? Or do you have it like incognito in case somebody steals it? Like TC? Or... <laughs> I haven't saved. It's like, you know, it's interesting. He's not the only one. I, I'm very fortunate. I've been, I work with a lot of folks, and I have a lot of people on my phone, and I, they all have little code names, and it only makes sense to me. <laughs> but I was like, you know, but sometimes I get confused, and I like forget, and then I'll, and then I'll say, oh shoot, and I'll text the wrong thing to the wrong person, and then I'll feel like an idiot. And I say, oh man, I just, I just, I just texted Questlove, hey, great job uh, last night uh, playing against the Phillies, and he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, never mind. I got, I got the wrong name saved here. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things. I, Bob Saget was Bob Bobby Sags, and that's what he this, yeah. he would share his contact as Bobby. You know, God rest his soul. What a great human being. But uh, Bobby, that was a great guy, man. That, that was and, all, and what an unexpected guy. Oh my God! It, and, and the the yeah. the irony behind all that. My wife and I have been together for about ten years, and our first date mm -hmm. was uh, to go see Bob. And I had, you know, like one of those business, you know what I mean? Those business radio relationships with him. And he came into town and we were broadcasting at Universal Studios. And still to this day, one of my most favorite bits I've ever done. Um, we we did a reenactment of a full house scene as him as Danny Tanner. Yeah, Danny Tanner. No right? way. And, and we did the rest of the characters. And Nate was there that day. And it was just so much fun. And he was so cool. And so I said, you know, I'm coming to the show at the Hard Rock later. And I'm bringing a date. I really like her. And he's like, cool, let's hang out afterwards. So, like, everything about the night, there was, like, so many different stories. But he was there our first date. We hung out afterwards with him. And he ends up passing away at the same hotel that, you know, at the heart. I mean, it just it crushed me. He's just such a great human being. Such a, he, was, he was everybody in radio's I best mean, friend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, what a, what a what a icon, really, yeah. you know. 
And I'm assuming I counted that. Yeah. So another thing in the movie, and, and I'm assuming this was strategically done, not necessarily, well, maybe for a little, I'm not a fan of forced pro- political correctness in movies. Um, but I thought about it and I was, at first I was like, my only issue with this is this possible forced political correctness. And then I thought about it again and I'm like, you can't do what you used to be able to do in the 80s today if you want to make the money internationally. You can't put China or Russia as the bad guy because you want it released in those countries and you're just giving up billions billions of dollars. There was no enemy. I mean, there was an enemy, but you never said who the enemy was. Just hearing you say that is so funny to me. I'm like, yeah, I guess it probably was easier to make these geopolitical films in the eighties when it was very clear who, you know, as opposed to now where everyone in these countries that are, are, are we're like are the bad guys are also places that have McDonald's yeah, and also places that have Starbucks. And so it's, it's a really complicated world we live in. Obviously better minds than me have thought about all this stuff. I do know that, uh, no, they had altered his jacket at one point, but then they changed it back. I think that was something that Paramount, uh, was in on, you know, again, I'm not part of those discussions, but I will say the fact that, you have a movie that can open worldwide. And like you just said, we're with a nameless enemy speaks to the fact that the enemy is actually not even really what the movie's about. I mean, it's called top gun Maverick. And I think as you experienced, it was really about Maverick and his own personal journey, not just as somebody trying to get these pilots ready, but also somebody trying to figure out his own life vis-a-vis deuces kid, you know, vis-a-vis Penny, who's another person who's you know played by uh, Jennifer Connelly. And I felt like that in some ways is the heart of the film. And that is, I think what I think they really leaned into and they didn't really want to lean into like the specificity of who the bad people were. They more so wanted to lean into like, Hey, how do you go from being the guy to being a guy who is like people are treating as, well, now you're going to just teach, you can't do it. And then you got to prove yourself. And it's, it's all very personal stuff. And I think that's, People don't expect that. I think they expect it just to be a bunch of rah-rah jingoism and explosions, and it's, it's, a, it's a much deeper film than that. Yeah, by the way, it's a, it's a great high conversation to have with your buddies to figure out who the enemy is. Right. So, like, because, yeah, exactly. you, you know, you're sitting there, and, and everybody's going to have their two cents. I mean, it's only a handful of people it can yeah. be. Um, but you're like, dude, you know, you know, you know, those people in the Middle East, they got the uranium. So but there's snow there. Wait a minute. Yeah. They, they can't move it to Russia. <laughs> so it's it's actually a kind of a fun conversation. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm a big fan of the weeds. I smoke them. And uh, I've had many high conversations. And I think that's definitely going to be one on the list. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, but I gotta tell you, the thing about the movie, can I say it's interestingly, the thing that I've the more I watch it, you know, what I'm really appreciating more are the quiet moments. I'm appreciating more of those little moments where it's just like with Tom and Jennifer and they're just beautifully lit and they're just like, you know, no words, there's no dialogue and they're just trying to figure and, and, and it's so heavy because the audience knows exactly what the hell they're talking about. Even though they're not talking, they know exactly what this moment means. The moments where Tom is just on the lift, you know, on the aircraft carrier, just before he goes up to the mission. And it's just like incredible shot of an aircraft carrier lift and the oceans in the background. I just think that some of those little filmic moments are things that I didn't get to watch being made because, you know, I'm, I'm only in my scenes, obviously, but I'm really grateful to, you know, Claudio, our director of photography, Joe, our director, that and Tom, you know, who's a huge film fan, that it's not just about the explosions or even the story. It's also about, like, appreciating the art of filmmaking, which I think a lot of people don't talk about, but it's a visual medium. And so how do you make it a visual feast? Well, they've done that. Yeah, and it also adds to the storyline too. When you're able to, you know, yeah. you know, improv one hundred and one and talk through body language, and, I, and I'll give you an example yeah. as a fan. You know, after Tom is thrown out of hard deck, and he's outside, um, and he's watching Rooster play Great Balls of Fire, and Jennifer Connelly, yeah. Penny Benjamin, knows what he's thinking. And that's, it's, it's amazing because you feel it and it kind of fast forwards you in the movie going, okay, so here's the setting. I get it. And they don't say a word. Yeah. You know, you nailed it, man. I mean, that if if, I'm going to tell you what I work in television, mostly if that was TV, some network executive would have been like, we don't really know what she's thinking. Can we give her a monologue? Like, and they would have had her say like, oh, he's watching the son of his former part. You know what I'm saying? Like this goofy stuff. 
I'm so happy that we have mature filmmakers, that we have people who understand. It's a visual medium. The audience will understand the stakes. We're going to play it in a look. This is what the medium is for. You don't get to do that a lot. It's so rare. And, and, and I'm happy that a movie that big is also taking those types of swings. Well, I think what you meant to say, Bashir, was I'm so happy we have mature movie watchers like myself. That yeah, are, that's that, true. <laughs> 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 Especially people who saw the first Top Gun, we're all mature. I always laugh and say, the first Top Gun, I remember when it came out, I didn't go see it. I didn't have any money to go see it. I saw it on cable when it finally happened. I was like, oh, that's really good. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. Watkins Law Firm, trial and litigation attorneys. So if it's personal injury, wrongful death, contracts and transactions, landlord and tenant disputes, or just general civil litigation, Watkins Law Firm dot LLC is where you need to go. Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, Watkins Law Firm dot LLC. And here's Tyler's tip of the day. Georgia really hates people cutting down other people's trees. If you cut down someone else's tree, whether you realize it or not, you're going to owe them three times the value of that tree and all of their attorney's fees and costs. And trust me, those can get expensive real quick. Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, WatkinsLawFirm.LLC, serving all of Georgia. Next time, talk to Tyler. In the market to build a mountain home or cabin in western North Carolina, Mac Development Group. These are the people that you need to call. These are the people you need to talk to. MacDevelopment.com is the website currently booking for full-time builds, and they're looking for you to get on the schedule today, providing a premium product in the Western Carolina market, and they are the premium builder in the area. Putting everything together in this amazing 3D software, the process is easy, and it's a one-stop shop with Mac Development Group. MacDevelopment.com. Rockland Contracting, better known, established in 2009, and I got a message from owner David Hawks. He wants to thank you two percenters, the listeners of the Bailey Show podcast, for taking his company to the next level. With that being said, if you're looking for deck design in which he specializes in or new HVAC installation, basement remodel, interior, exterior painting, he's booked up for the summer months. So right now, he's taking bookings for the fall. RocklandContractingLLC.com, 678-879-3867. 678-879-3867. Also, seeking experienced deck builders. Help you help your business get to the next level. And you do that by incorporating create graphics in there. Whether it's vehicle wraps, corporate events you might be having, interior, exterior events, graphic design and apparel. Create Graphics is a full-service graphics company that specializes in graphic design, wide format printing, and graphic installation. Excellent customer service where every project is going to get that one-on-one experience from start to finish. CreateGraphics.net. C-R-E-A-T-E-G-R-A-P-H-I-X.net. Or you can call 770-369-9962. 770-369-9962. And back to you, Jason. But everybody was, it was like everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. It was like taking over the, the whole country. Did, did you ask or find out? Cause I'm curious, um, how there's just no way the, the Penny Benjamin thing is so brilliant. You know, for those that mm-hmm. Penny Benjamin is uh, Jennifer Connelly plays her character in Top Gun Maverick. She's the love interest. And you're like, well, where does this character come from? Well, if you go back to the original Top Gun, Penny Benjamin's name is mentioned twice. One at the beginning when they get in trouble mm-hmm. on the aircraft carrier, the Admiral's daughter. Then Meg Ryan in the bar scene, again, doing great balls of fire. I'd just like to warn you about Pete. But that whole scene, oh, Penny Benjamin, oh, God, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, there's no way they wrote this movie at that time. So who went back mm-hmm. and said, that's going to be the love interest, Penny Benjamin? Because that's brilliant. All of them. You know, I think, you know it's, what's crazy is uh, what people don't know is that, um, you know, there were many uh, pitches about what the Top Gun sequel would be. I mean, the movie made a little bit of money. And, you know, Paramount was probably very eager, very eager to make a sequel and Tom was like, yeah, we'll make it when it's the right script. And it took 30 years. So you have to understand, he's had many people over the years come to him and pitch him, hey, what if the sequel is this? What if the sequel is that? And it wasn't until Joe Kaczynski, you know, brilliant director, brilliant visualist, you know, that he is, and, and his team went to Paris to see Tom and pitched him the whole story. So I think they're the ones who figured out the Penny Benjamin all. They're the ones who figured out the rooster of it all. They're the ones who figured all that stuff out. 
And so once Tom heard it all and realized that they had sort of cracked it, then he was on board. And then that's where you got the movie you got. But believe me, there's definitely in an alternate universe, there's six other versions of this sequel and they're all not as good. Wow. Well, so does Tom Cruise own the rights to Top Gun or could have somebody just destroyed the franchise and made a totally different spinoff? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. I'm not sure how that even works. Uh, you know, at my price point, <laughs> I'm just happy to get the craft service every day that they let me eat. But, uh, you know, I'm very curious to know how it works. I will say, though, you know, I think the key that one of the keys to his longevity is he's really hands on. You know, he is not somebody who just shows up and does his little scenes and leaves. I mean, as I said, it, it really matters to him every part of it. It matters to him that even characters with one line crush it and nail it and feel like they're the most important character in the movie. You know, that's all very, very important stuff. Did you get to spend any time with Val Kilmer? Very little. He, I was there the day they shot uh, the scene. Well, I don't want to say it is for those who haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, but he was there that day. He's tall. He's taller than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. Uh, and then you kind of go like, well, of course he's tall as a movie star. I was just saying this to somebody else. I never really acknowledged how big a deal he was in my uh, movie life. Like, I love Top Secret, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I loved, you know, Heat. Mm -hmm. But also, I loved him in The Doors. And I didn't know anything about The Doors or their music before that movie came out. Yeah. And so, you know, that's one of those ones where, like, I look at this guy and I'm like, man, I've kind of been following you your whole career. And I did never. And by the way, Jennifer Connelly, too. Like I was, I was just thinking about that. I was like, there are years where Jennifer Connelly is probably the, the most sought after actress, you know, in Hollywood. And we're all loving her, especially in the late eighties. It was like, she could do no wrong. And so it's kind of a who's who. And then hopefully with some of the younger pilots, it's like a who's got next, right? Like that's the balance he was going for. And I think he kind of achieved it. I mean, it just hits. Oh yeah. It left a lot of room to continue the franchise, but it didn't do and thankfully what a lot of other franchise movies go where it's like the passing of the torch, this not necessarily was the passing of the torch, uh, literally, but metaphorically it was, which was again, very, very, very clever. Don't forget the saint, uh, doc Hollywood yeah. in, uh, in, in tombstone. Yeah. Val Kilmer, you know, is cool, but it is true. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but it is. Sorry, I didn't mean to get crazy, but yes, it, I love that. <laughs> it, it is true that Tom Cruise made it a point to include Val Kilmer, even though he can't speak in real life uh, because of the throat cancer, right? I mean, that was that was on the docket for Tom uh, in order to make this movie, correct? Well, I'm really, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I will say I'm really, having spent a lot of time with people who are uh, uh, afflicted, who are suffering, I know it is a Herculean feat sometimes to get out of bed. And the fact that Val came and not just delivered, but delivered some of the most powerful stuff in the movie. Uh, I'm so grateful to him. And I'm, and I'm also in awe because I know other folks would have been like, I'm, I don't want to do it. I don't feel good, you know? Mm -hmm. And yet he was able to, to shoulder it, to muster it up and to get it done. And, and I really feel like I witnessed real courage and real strength because that's not easy. Were the younger actors and actresses, did, did you get the vibe that they had an appreciation for the franchise? Absolutely. Yeah, they're all, all, you know, movie fans. As young as they are, they're definitely Tom Cruise fans. And so, you know, again, I think it's, it's certainly there is, when the cameras are rolling, there's bravado, there's, you know, there's arrogance, because we're all cool, we're all good-looking, this and that and the other. When the cameras are not rolling, it's a lot of nerding out over movies. It's a lot of discussions about you know, filmmakers, you know, about Noah Baumbach and Richard Linkletter. And, you know what I'm saying? And it's just like, it's very like nerd forward in terms of the film love. And it's all very like, what are you working on? I want to work, I want to write a movie about this. I want to work on that. You know, we're all really sort of geeking out over not just being a part of this, but also over feeling like we've all made a step forward in our careers as people who, you know, are, are, are part of this, this universe of film. And so, uh, I really felt like I was in great company, you know, and no matter whether, and, and it's interesting because on screen it's the older actors and the younger actors, but in reality, when the cameras are rolling, this everybody's together. You got John Hamm, 
you know, and uh, Lewis Pullman all making jokes and stuff, right? Like, we're all just sort of one big group. And let me just shout out uh, Ham, John Ham again and say, that's a funny dude, man. And I work in comedy, <laughs> and I get it. I always wonder why. He works a lot with Tina Fey and some other folks, and I, I really get it. Yeah. Uh, and I told him, I said, I hope we do some comedy stuff, because that guy's really good at it. Oh, and that's what's great. You know, when you look at an actor like John Ham and, and go, you know, you look at him and um, – Bridesmaids, or you look at him in Tag, yeah. which is a great. Yeah, movie. oh my god! <laughs> and, and then you look at him in this movie, and you're like, "Who is this guy?" That's that's serious yeah. skill, right? When you can do that. Yeah, he's 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 got it, man. He's got both. He's got the chops. He's got like you know the comedy and the drama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also to be somebody who's who's both a good leading man, but also in this movie. You know, he is the the antagonist. You know, he is the the sort of like he is the wall in Tom's way. And so to be able to play that as well, it also shows his not just his talent, but also his humility. He made sure and got that right. Um, I can tell you in my short experience that there's a lot of ego involved in, in our business. And the best projects are the ones where ego has been put aside and people are just focused on the work. And I think Top Gun Maverick is that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. Let me go uh, around the room here. I'm sure everybody's got some questions for you. Nate, you have a question for Bashir? Yeah, Bashir, I, I read that you are a Harvard graduate and I think you were like pre-med or, or a medical degree. What, what was the catalyst for you to switch to, um, to acting and, and comedy and things like that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You, you have stuff that you say and you have stuff that you do. I was lucky. I was born loving books and loving education and really smart. My mom's a teacher. My dad actually taught for a little bit too before he, after he was a mechanic, he taught a little bit too. Um, and so, you know, I'm from that type of background and coming from the south side of Chicago where I come from, having an opportunity to be at elite schools like my high school and like Harvard, you know, you want to make sure you give back. And so when I was younger, I was like, you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer, right? That's the discussion. And so I was like, Oh, I'll be a doctor. Uh, I, I like science smart. But then I noticed that even though I was good in, in, in the science classes and I said that stuff, what did I do? I did, I did plays, man. I did nothing but plays all through high school. I cannot wait I did The King and I. I did Hamlet. My school did Les Miserables. I promise you that's a true story. Like, it's, we did, and, and that's what I, and in college, you know, of course, my academics got me in, but, like, as soon as I got to college, like, the minute I could audition for Othello, I auditioned for Othello. I played the damn thing twice in college. And so, ultimately, at some point, I knew that there was this <laughs> come-to-Jesus moment about to happen. I had to call my dad and say, look, you know, I'm, 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 I think I'm an actor, you know, I think that's who I am. Uh, and, and it felt like this sort of moment where you have to talk to your parents about who you really are. And it, I was very worried. I was very scared. And I was very lucky because he was like, you know, I, I feel like we knew that. And I feel like you would always eventually do something like this. And so he paid for me and it was not cheap, but we didn't have a lot of money, but he paid for me to go to a, a theater training program in upstate New York called the hangar theater lab company. It's a very small little thing in upstate New York and Ithaca. Um, and I just really studied and trained. And that was really the first time I really said, I'm taking it seriously and I want to do this. And then I got to LA and it was of course incredibly hard. And one of those places where you go, this is never going to work out. How does anybody make it here? And you just keep clawing, you keep scraping away at it. And so ultimately like I love science to this day, I love math, but my heart is on the stage. Yeah, but even at Harvard, uh, you were pitch perfect before pitch perfect, weren't you? I mean, there was that singing idea yeah, in your we head as well. Acapella. And by the way, and sadly, let me be real, and those of you who obviously collegial types know, it's not special. There's, I think, maybe 400,000 acapella groups on every college campus. And it's like, you you know, you'll be in class trying to learn, and then they run in and sing stuff. <laughs> and you're just like, ugh. And then there's one of those things when I first got to college, I was like, yeah, I'm from the South. So I was like, man, it's so whack. And then, like, about six months later, I was like, I want to join one. You know, and it was like, you can't, you can't help it. There was like a pellet groups, man. They suck you in. You uh, but, yeah, we were doing that. We were singing around Boston. And, uh, you know, but, again, like, every college has, like, a billion acapella groups. And the name of the group was? Our group was called Brothers, man. Brothers. Yeah, Brothers. We were the Brothers. <laughs> brothers awesome. sang. <laughs> and we sang a lot of old spirituals, too. So, like, uh, you know, a lot of people would be listening to us sing, like, a 1920s 
uh, you know, uh, uh, dirge and be like, what the hell is this? And we'd be out there just in our little sweaters and khaki pants with our little deck shoes on trying to be cool. Did you, did you, with that background, did you ever try to audition for any of the Pitch Perfect movies? I love the Pitch Perfect movies, by the way. I think. You know what's funny? I didn't, but I actually got them. I worked with Anna Kendrick on another movie called uh, A Simple Favor. Uh-huh. And she is awesome. She's a very, very cool person. So it was like great. Now, I, it's interesting. I do sing on both of my TV shows, but I've never really uh, taken it seriously. At some point in the future, I feel like I'd be very lucky, but I'd love to do a musical, like uh, like in New York or something, because I still love theater, and I think the best thing about theater is that it's really all ages, you know, in a way that in some ways TV and film is not. But, like, you could be in your 80s, you know, playing King Lear and, and still doing it. And so I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, that there'll be a part of my own uh, career where I was able to do a lot more theater, and I'm looking forward to it. Why don't you write Top Gun Maverick the musical? Ooh. First off, how, how dare you assume I haven't already written it? Uh, <laughs> and I'm putting the finishing touches on it this afternoon, and the world's never going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he says that because he's so quick with it, going, God, that's a brilliant idea, Jason. I am not giving you 20%. It's already in the can. I'm already working on it. That's just how this I like is you get First off, where do you get 20% from? I think you want to say 5%. Let's, let's start there. And then also... You know, this is something the lawyers will talk about, but, you know, we can all be figured out. I've got Tourette's. It's just 20%. That's my Tourette go, go to. Oh, uh, yeah, right. That's your number. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, Brandon, question for Bashir. Uh, I'm glad you brought up a simple favor. That's like my favorite chick flick ever. Uh, I know you said you worked with Anna Kendrick, and I guess you worked with Blake Lively, but how did, how did that go oh, out? Yeah. That's like my favorite <laughs> actress. Super hot. Blake, uh, you know, she is stunning and tall. And, and it's like, I felt the same thing uh, when you when we first met Tom Cruise. Because the first time I met him was at a table and he came in. I was like, whoa, all right, I get it. That's a movie star. And Blake is similar. She comes on, she strides onto set and you go like, whoa, okay, I get it. That's a star. Uh, very kind, uh, very funny. You know who she's married to. So I'm sure that's a household that is rich in comedy. Um but, you know, we only had one scene together, uh, but ultimately I spent most of my time with Anna. And, of course, she's also just a, a real pro, and I learned a lot about her background. Uh, but it was kind of cool to be a part of that. I read that they're doing a sequel to that movie, too. So well, yeah. I'm like, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious uh, uh, to see it. But I'm also, like, really excited because I love working on that. Paul Feig is, like, my favorite. Um, that is a real sort of, like, filmmaker in the old school. And uh, I was lucky to be able to be a part of that. Does it ever get weird? Like, take Blake Lively, for example. You know, she's had some steamy moments in movies like Savages, which is a fantastic movie. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. and then work with them after seeing, you know, I mean, I know it's acting, it's a job, and you're being professional and stuff, but you're silly. I think I never saw that scene. Uh, You know, it's it's funny to say it's, it's never awkward. It is. I've done a couple scenes like that. I did one on Glow uh, that I had to watch with my wife next to me, uh, where I ended up uh, having a sort of a sex scene with my uh, TV wife, uh, played by Sadell. Uh, and so it's always super awkward to be a part of something like that. Um, and it's always like, you know, you, it's it's not like you're alone, right? There's like they're really good nowadays, where they'll make sure there's an intimacy coordinator and they'll make sure there's as few people as possible. But at the end of the day. You're still fake humping in a room with like some dude holding the pole, like, all right, come on. You know, it's like, it's weird. <laughs> and so, but yeah, I, but that's the work, right? And, 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 you know, you kind of have to just do it. I, again, when I see other actors who've done stuff like that, I can relate because I've done it, but it doesn't really come up. You kind of just want to focus on this thing. And uh, also, I'll be honest, like, I'm always, I never, I'm always a little nervous when I'm on set, like, always. And I'm always a little bit in my own head. And I think that's being a human being, right? You know, you always think everybody's thinking about you, but then if you think about it, you're only thinking about yourself. And I think we all are. And so, you know, I really try to spend most of my time on set just kind of breathing and trying to stay calm um, and, and be present for the work so that I don't start geeking out and, and be like, Oh my God, I'm going to see with Anna. And, and then the work is not good. I was a fan of glow. I liked it. I mean, I watched it as a kid growing up. I'm a wrestling fan and your character, Keith bang was great. And, and, uh, 
But there were some steamy scenes in that. And Mark Maron, of course. I mean, who oh, doesn't yeah. like Mark Maron? But it was a good flick. That's a, I was, dude, I love, I love that That's a funny dude, man. If <laughs> <laughs> you ever, anybody listening, if you ever get a chance to do a movie or anything with Mark, do it. Because that is a funny dude. Yeah. Uh, he's he's, he's kind of like... He's not his character from Glow, but he is a throwback. Like he is very kind of old school, kind of like you know, comedy seller, New York comic vibe. You know, and I think that's something you don't really see nowadays. I mean, comics now, I feel like a lot of them are sort of on the internet, and there's a whole new generation. It's they're playing to that, and Mark to me, you know, he's so talented, but he also feels like that deep wittiness you get when you're like it's two in the morning at a comedy club, and you're at a table with a bunch of like hitters. And he's, you know, he's very comfortable in that environment. That's a very intense environment. This might not make any sense to anyone, but Mark Maron's face wants me to buy Buster Brown shoes and eat a big fat pretzel afterwards. If you've ever bought Buster oh, Brown shoes as a kid, they would give you these fat pretzels. I know what those are. <laughs> so you, you, know what I'm me of, you know, it's funny hearing you say that. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Johnny Fever, right? Like a little bit of that. Uh, WKRP. WKRP. Yeah, he does have that kind of, you know, yeah, puts, puts the hat on and the strawy kind of weird hair kind of pokes out a little bit. Yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. Uh, Jill, question for Bashir. Hey, Bashir, big fan. Um, I just saw the movie, and when Jason told it, told me that we were talking to you, I nerded out instantly. Um, so my question, I just wanted to ask, with the hype of the movie and everything that happened, would you say that this has been your most favorite project to work on? And if not, uh, what has been? This is the biggest project I've ever worked on. It's certainly uh, intense. You know, when you make a movie, you kind of make it in pieces. And so, interestingly, you'll have, like, a on Monday, you're on an aircraft carrier with Tom Cruise, and you're acting. And then on Wednesday, you're it's 3 in the morning, and you're changing doo-doo diapers. <laughs> and you're by yourself in the house and everybody's asleep except the kid is up. So, you know, you kind of have to go back and be a real person a lot. Uh, I will say, I have to say, the, be- the, pro- the best project I ever worked on was my dream project, which is my own TV show, Southside, uh, on HBO Max. That's a project that, for years, and I'll be brief with this, for years I've had my work rejected. You can't work in Hollywood and not have your work rejected. I was no different than that. So I had TV shows and movies and things that I loved, that I was passionate about, that I would kill my, you know, kill for, and they all get, and Hollywood was like, nope, nope, and they all went away, and then finally this thing that I love more than anything actually somehow made it through the maze to get to television. And that's Southside. And for me, it was so special because, you know, I'm from the South side of Chicago. It's a place where you don't really get a lot of great news on the news. And yet my experience of the place is very different. It's very joyful. It's happy. It's silly. There's definitely some challenges, but overall, you know, we have a good ass time. And so the idea that I could do a show they could share that with other people. I mean, that that will always be the most special thing. I'm assuming it, it, you'd get jaded, or some people can get jaded. I know I would. That's just how I work. Is that if you've, you know, you know how good you are. You know, you know how talented you are. You know, how great said script is that you've written, and you yeah. get rejected, and then. Now you're Hondo and you're Top Gun Maverick or Southside and it's the popularity. And now people want to work with you. Those same people that were rejecting you, I would say, go fuck yourself. I don't want to work. I'll find somebody else. But I guess you can't. You got to play the game. I got great advice one time uh, from a writer. He said, don't be a sore winner. And I uh, never thought about that before, but he was right because you're exactly right. you cannot help but have a show finally make it to air and, and say, I told you so, go after yourself, everybody who's... But you know, all that stuff is not going to help you. It's not going to help you make the show good. It's not going to help you make the show better. It won't make up for all those times in the past where your work was rejected, you didn't get the part you wanted, and you really had no way to make your rent. And I know what that feels like. I've been there many times. I've sat there being $200 short of my rent and being like, how the hell am I going to find $200? Like, I've been there. I know what that is. And so all those things are things that everybody has to go to. You're not special. Everybody has tough things in their life. Everybody has a tough road. Everybody has somebody out there who does not believe in them and is their enemy. And, and you know, we all, in, in your heads right now, I know there's somebody like, yeah, that person's a hater. All that stuff, though, has nothing to do with what you're trying to do. And and so for me, 
whenever I got advice that said, hey, just focus on the things that are working, I, I think I have to take that seriously. Yeah, that's you're the smart guy. That's ration. That's voice of reason right there. That's the stuff you're supposed I mean, to listen to. I mean, down, I want to be mad about it. Like, man, forget y'all, you know, ha, ha, ha. But it's like, <laughs> you know, we got to just... Let's just let's just focus. Let's do the next thing. I don't I don't want to give that any energy because, uh, you know, frankly, the, the situation has resolved itself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're in an interesting situation because you know your partner in crime, uh, Diallo Riddle. You know, you guys met at Harvard. Like I said, I think I started the conversation in Atlanta guy, but uh, you guys you created Southside and 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 you're yep. the bestest of buddies and this and this and that. And not to take anything away from his success, um, but He's not in Top Gun, and you are. And now everybody's yeah, – hold on. There was a moment where he, he was on Marlin. He was on an NBC show for two seasons, and I wasn't. And I was absolutely the guy going with him to the, the Hollywood parties, and people were like, who are you? So, you know, it's just interesting. That's, that's why you have to be able to be, like, aware of how long this stuff is, you know. Uh, uh, the pendulum swings both ways. And sometimes you're, you know, as Chris Rock said, sometimes you're playing tambourine, sometimes you're lead singer. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm getting at here is, has, has your buddy pulled you aside and said, hey, look, I'm really happy for your success, but don't leave me. You know, these teams break up. It's like a, ta- it's like a tag team. It's like the Dudley boys breaking up. I can't believe it happened. You know, I'm, I'm going to give him some credit right now. Diallo does not need me. Um, there was a time when we needed each other and where both of our names together was the thing, keeping our rent paid where we were doing writing jobs. And now we are at a space where we still work together, but it's much more uh, out of joy and much less out of necessity. If for some reason our partnership were to end, he would be, first off, I don't think it will, uh, because we really enjoy uh, the way we figured out how to make it work as writing partners and business partners. Uh, And I've known him since I was like, Damn, I've known that dude since I was like 19, so that's like 30-some years. That's crazy. Um, or 20-some years, rather. That's, that's crazy. But the point is is that uh, he is very successful in his own right. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, if by some, like I said, if there was some terrible event and then we ended up taking some time and, and not working together, I, I think his success would continue. Yeah. And I would hope mine would, too. Like, I'd be worried, like, oh, man. Um, but you know, you, you get that in Hollywood where, you know, you, you, there's no safety net, right? There's no vocation. There's no education. There's, this is not grad school. It's like the, the scariest part, moment of my life was watching all my friends after college go off to grad school and business school and go off to safe structures for the next steps of their lives. And my ass is moving to LA with, uh, working as a temp. And being like, oh, God, what's going to happen? So it was terrifying. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of develop armor and you develop the ability to see how tough you are. And I'm very fortunate in that I can take a punch. I can see you doing a movie in the future with The Rock. You two, you look like you would have a good oh, chem- yeah. good chemistry with The Rock. Hell yes. I would love that. And, you know, that would be awesome. He's also somebody who I, I, I don't know him. I saw him one time in person. He's uh, a star. And I, uh, I feel like that, that dude is probably really funny. And I know that he's in every one of his movies. He always showcases a little bit of his comedy chops. So I think that would be a blessing. Hondo and Hobbs. I could see that, <laughs> you know, let's go. Come on. Do this. I, you know, I love that movie, by the way, the one with him, Statham, Statham. and yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, so I was a big fan. I'm a, I'm a huge. I'm a, I'm decked out in all Project Rocks. So I'm a huge rock fan. I always say yeah. that, people always say to me, and I love wrestling. So I love this one all the time. Yeah. They'll say you look like Seth MacFarlane. You look like Peter Brady. You look like Donny Osmond. And I'm like, yeah, I get that a lot. But when I'm at the beach with my shirt off, I look like The Rock. And ha ha ha. Yeah, there you go. Let them know. <laughs> Shoot, come on now. All you gotta have is some coconut oil, like we did in Top Gun. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Keep it shiny and slick for the ladies. <laughs> there is a lot of there's a lot of makeup sweat in that movie. I mean, and it was well placed oh, pers- perspiration. I got to tell you. You know what was interesting is, is that was actually a really important thing to Tom because of the first Top Gun. It, it, I think what he discovered making that movie and then watching it was how because that movie is also everybody's sweaty all the time. That movie is hot. It's, it's, it's a bunch of, that movie is like no air conditioning and a fan that kind of works. Like that's the, that's the original Top Gun. It's a room with no air conditioning. And I think he really felt like watching it, that, that elevated the drama 
And and so for this film, he made sure that that's one of the elements we kept from the original. And, and there are lots and lots and lots of little things like that, more than I even know, where he was really, really integral in making sure that this little small thing that happened in the original is something that kind of plays throughout the, the sequel. You know what, Stitch, I just thought about this, uh, and then we'll let you go, but... I, I... You know, in both Top Guns, you know, we're talking about the enemy, you know, the first Top Gun, obviously it was Russia, but this one, there's no name of the, we don't know who has the the uranium, but in both Top Guns, you never see the face of the enemy. You see them in a helmet, but you never actually see a full face. That's amazing to have two Mm -hmm. huge blockbuster movies with a villain, villain, big villain, and and never see a face. You ever think about that? You know, yeah, I, I I don't envy the balancing act that they have to do nowadays in a global film world to to make this stuff work. But they figure it out, you know. And also, the other thing that's a little bit funny to me is when you see actual aviation, like they very rarely, if ever, take their masks off in the cockpit. And yet, when you do movies, like you know, the actor's face is so important. So, in all of the movies, you have to take the the, the mask off in the cockpit a lot of times because otherwise the audience is just watching, you know, robot face man, right? Which nobody wants to see that. So you got to see who these actors are. And so it is, but that's part of it. So the enemies in some ways are very accurate because they keep their masks on, you know, Mm. the entire movie as they're supposed to in the, in the airplanes uh, before they blow up. That's crazy. All right. Well, everybody go see Top (laughs) Gun Maverick, uh, Bashir Sladen, Hondo, great character, Bashir. I'm so, I'm so glad we got to meet You're You're such a talented guy and, and, you're going to do such great things, and, and we'll just rerun this conversation over and over again. Say we're friends. I appreciate it. Take care. <laughs> All right. See you, Bashir. Thank you.